Welcome one and all, I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach, and this is the Virtually Agile Podcast, the pod that shares conversations with Agile thought leaders, as well as amplifying newer voices. You'll hear about agility, virtual working, and everything in between. If you find value in listening, don't forget to follow or subscribe on your platform of choice. It is the very best way to hear about the latest episodes as they land. Enjoy the show. Right, fellow Agilists, welcome to Season 2 and the latest installments of the Virtually Agile Videocast. As always, we firmly believe here in neurodiversity and amplifying voices that are seldom heard, but also alongside establishing, hearing from established thought leaders. And today's guest is the author of the book Retrospective Anti-Patterns and also a continuous improvement coach at the Lego Group. So I'm sure uh, Ino and I are going to have lots to talk about. I'm pleased to welcome Ino to the show. Now, Ino, how are you today? Thank you for inviting me, and I'm very good today. Glad to hear it. You're back from your holiday, I believe. How was it? Did you enjoy yourself? Yeah, I did. I had a, I had a great time. I went to Germany, and then I went to Sweden. And it's it's interesting to see how the COVID rules coming from Denmark were different in Germany and Sweden from each other and from Denmark, even though we're all sort of neighboring countries. So that was uh, that was interesting. Sure. I was very much hoping to go to Mexico in September as a bit of a break between between uh between work but unfortunately you got added to the the red list in the uk so that's yeah. no longer an option so i'm thinking i'm thinking i might go to greece and climb mount olympus or yeah. i might go to norway and see if i can if i can go far enough as uh svalbard you know the arctic circle where yeah. the polar bears live and, and just go on a bit of an expedition yeah okay Sounds like so my... good luck if you're missing the polar bears yeah they are dangerous beasts um <laughs> so I know for those of our listeners that aren't familiar with your work, could you tell us a little bit more about, about yourself? Yes. What you do? So, um, so I'm one of these people where everything in my work life has been sort of accidental. So I, I always wanted to teach. At first I wanted to teach mathematics and then I wanted to teach computer science at the university. So I became a PhD. So then a researcher and a teacher at the university. And then I came out in industry and taught a bit there. And then I came back to university and then back to industry and then back to university. And then I started my own company 11 years ago, Meta Developer, because I'm not a developer, but I'm developing developers. So that's the Meta Developer. So what I've been doing for the past 15 years is mainly facilitating retrospectives and other meetings. And, and as you mentioned in your introduction, being a continuous improvement coach for, for various companies at, at the moment, it's Lego in Denmark which is a lot of fun and I have so much more Lego than I had when I started. <laughs> One can never have too much Lego. What, what no. I love about Lego is that I talked I talk to friends, particularly friends of my age who've now got children and they've bought these new Lego sets and I'm always asking is, is that set genuinely for you or is, or is that for your kids and they're kind of like well it's, it's, it's kind of a bit of both, it's a bit of both. Uh, but the beauty of it is that you can buy lots of Lego and it just transcends generations and ages you know, and you can buy it and you just, you just create can combine multiple sets and create what you want so lego wonderful thing big yeah. fan and yeah, i also love the thing. love the continuous improvement coach title because i think you know there's a lot of there's a lot of agile coaches out there but for me one of the the main cruxes of what an agile coach is to is trying to do is is resulting in continuous improvement so continuous improvement coach great title there thank you yeah mm. Now, uh, given the the theme of this this podcast 
is about amplifying newer voices. Is there anyone out there that you feel is doing some great work that perhaps isn't already speaking at conferences and meetups that maybe I should should reach out to or that should be heard from or maybe that should feature on the show, I know? Yes, I definitely I have a small list that I'll send you after the after this uh, talk. Perfect. So, yeah. Any particular names you can think of at the moment or <laughs> without putting you on the spot? Well, I have I have no, I I have a list. I just don't know if they want to be a sort of that public, but I can mention one which I think will not mind, but that's somebody that I know from Denmark, Therese Hensen. She's been doing a lot of blogging okay. and one of the things that I like about her, she's working as an agile coach as well. One of the things that I really like about her is that she's she's just living her life as she wants to live it. So at the moment, living half the year in Thailand and uh, getting a lot of exercise, getting a lot of warmth and half the year in Denmark, uh, where she can be with friends and family. And, and I like the way that she makes her work and her private life fit together beautifully. I think that is that is the dream as the as the virtual agile coach you know someone who primarily does yeah. most of his work from a virtual, a virtual setting i have gone off and spent yeah. like a month working in dubai and and, and other locations and uh, the, the idea of kind of having uh, work and play together and this is this is what i do as well like the, one of the reasons that i'm i'm wearing a silly hat right now one of the reasons that i'm I create these themed retrospectives and use gamification as teaching concepts. It's basically me being an inner child, but bringing it to the workplace and allowing people to have fun in the workplace because I'm a firm believer yeah. the workplace can be fun with a bit of creativity. So I love the sound of what, what your colleague there is doing. Now, tell us about your book. What are the common retrospective anti-patterns that you observe? The book's titled Retrospective Anti-Patterns. I believe it's got a, an octopus on the, on the title. It does have an octopus with an octopus. If I recall, you, you've got physical octopuses like lying around the room a, as well. I've got a physical octopus that I sometimes wear as a hat, sort of <laughs> like a thinking hat. And I nice. have a lot of smaller octopuses as well. I sometimes when I give presentations online, I give the presentations to these small octopuses. I put them next to the camera. Just so people practice. think that I'm smiling at them and talking to them, but I'm actually giving my talk to my smaller octopuses. So, well, back to the book. Um, so retrospective anti-patterns. Well, there is some, um, the book came about because I, as I said, I was facilitating a lot of retrospectives and, and I noticed that there were some things that went wrong over and over again. So it's like recurring problems or that I was creating the wrong recurring solutions, uh, in some contexts, for instance, the, uh, the ignorance of the prime directive. So the first book by. Norm Kurth about project retrospectives had the um, prime directive of uh, of retrospectives in it, which is that um, basically remember that everybody did the best they could, given what they knew at the time, the resources at hand, the skill set available. Uh, so that that mindset, um, the prime directive mindset, going into a retrospective with that, I think is so important. And I think some people are going into the retrospective, trying to think about who can we blame, who's the scapegoat and who made something stupid. And even if they're not doing it consciously, they're probably sometimes doing it subconsciously thinking either, oh, I need to figure out who it is, or it could also be even worse, maybe that they think it's their fault and thus they're not, they're afraid of going to the retrospective because they think they're going to be found out. 
So they might go to the retrospective and, and shut up not saying anything, or they might just skip the retrospective altogether. So I think that prime directive, if you ignore that prime directive as a facilitator, you can end up in quite a bad retrospective. So what you should do as a facilitator, the, re the refactored solution in my book, all the anti-patterns has a refactored solution. What you should do instead of ignoring it is to remind people about the prime directive. It could be that you, you put it on a poster, you write the whole wording, or you just say it in the email or just remind people when you when they enter the room remember we're trying to find faults in in the system of people not in particular people and one of the reasons for ignoring the prime directive can be um, that you as a facilitator are afraid that maybe the developers that you're facilitating for will will find it a bit too hippy happy or ignorant or idealistic because they'll be saying, of course, there was somebody who didn't do the best they could. Even I didn't do the best I could. I remember that there were some points where I didn't do the best I could. So it's a bit controversial where people are saying you can't expect people to truly believe that everybody did the best. But I think that the point that Norm Kurth had about the fact that it's a mindset is quite important. Mm. Yeah. I love the uh, the Retro Prime Directive. I, I use it. I build it into every retrospective template I create. I will not do any retrospective without making mention of the prime directive. And the, and what you, what you mentioned there about, I guess, the, the reluctance or the, it feeling a little bit like a, a hippie-esque thing, the way I have personally navigated past that is I do it in a bit of a self-deprecating way. I'll introduce the prime directive and I'll be like, well, I'm aware it sounds like it's something from Star Trek, you know, a prime directive. Um, and sometimes, particularly if you're doing a themed retrospective, what's something I've been doing recently is tweaking the language of the, the directive to make it uh, to fit with the theme. So for example, I did a, a retrospective collaboration just, just in the past week with a couple of guys, Steve Sampson Jones and Dave Westgarth, and we did a Looney Tunes, you know, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, et cetera, themed retrospective. And in in that in that world, that universe, they always have those Acme products, you know, the, the TNT, the um yeah. the anvils yeah. that are going to fall on you and, and rather than it just yeah. being the normal retro prime directive what i said was regardless of what acme products may blow up in our faces you know we we tunes understand that we've done the best job we could given the situation at hand experience mm -hmm. etc so you can lighten the mood by by altering just the, the language yeah. of the, the the directive itself and as you say um making it present making it part of the retrospective it's for me it's always the beginning thing that i'll mention at a retrospective and I often build it into the, the, the email invites as well, just to remind yeah. people. It sets, for me, it sets the context for unconditional positive regard, which is what I want from a retrospective. So that was yes, one of the anti-patterns. Any, any other particular ones? Yeah, so another one, which is one of my favorites, is uh, the Wheel of Fortune. And in the Wheel of Fortune, you should imagine that you're in a Tivoli and, and you scroll the Wheel of Fortune and then the little ticker goes like this, tick, 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 and then the wheel stops and the ticker mm -hmm. points to something. And that number could be that you get a prize or it could be that you win nothing, you waste your money. So that's the picture I want you to have in the mind. So if you have a retrospective where you gather data and you, for instance, say, this is what we should stop doing, this is what we should start doing, this is what we should continue doing. And then you want to save time and you want to go directly from gathering data to deciding what to do. Then sometimes, like in the Wheel of Fortune in the real life, you end up with something which is actually the problem, 
which is great. You win a prize and you find a solution. But sometimes what you come up with is just a symptom of the problem. Let me give you an example. So it could be that you gather data and people say we should we should have less meetings. Like we don't want as many meetings as we have. That's very common for a retrospective. Mm -hmm. And then what you could do if you go directly from gathering data to deciding what to do, you say, well, we'll just skip um, stand-ups. We won't have stand-ups twice a week and we, we won't have this um, refinement meeting and things like that. Um, and then you think that you solve the problem. But maybe you haven't. Next time they still want fewer meetings. So if you instead spent time on generating insights and trying to figure out why is it that people want fewer meetings, then maybe you'll find that the reason why they want fewer meetings is because the quality of the meetings is not good, that uh, there's no agenda, there's no explicit goal with the meeting, it's the wrong people who are invited, It's uh, they don't have a facilitator, so they end up being a waste of time with some people talking all the time and some people not having any chance to talk. And I think that the Wheel of Fortune is something that you often experience in a retrospective if you choose to save time by not generating insights. And, and generating insights could be, it could be delving into something multi-structural course analysis like the fishbone or Ishikinawa diagram where you find different courses uh, for a problem, but it could also be just a little conversation about this. So there's post-it notes saying fewer meetings, What what's the problem? And what do you want to achieve with that? What's, what's your aim with this? And then you can generate mm -hmm. insights like that. And then maybe it comes out that they think the meetings are a waste of time and then that's what you can work with. So I think this is something that often happens, especially if you want to save time. I've and definitely the point, observed of course, that before. Definitely observed that before. Yeah, and the refactored solution is to remember to generate insights so that mm. when you solve something, it's the actual problem and not just the symptom of the problem. Yeah. And one of the ones I've seen in the past was um, we need we need less meetings. We're too busy. We're too busy to do retrospectives. Yeah, yeah. And and oh, that's a that's a dangerous game. Yes. So again, it's always always results in me prompting questions. So okay, so what happens if you didn't have a retrospective? And they're like, okay, well we'd have more time. All right, but are you happy with how things are currently running now? No. Well, we're frustrated about this and about this and about this. Okay, so in the absence of a retrospective, where would you have identified? different ways of doing things and how to improve. Mm -hmm. uh, so often, you know, teams can think, oh, we'll just skip the retrospective, but then they just end up accepting their reality, you know, taking no action yeah. to change how things currently are is in itself a decision. And it's basically the team and acknowledging and being aware that this is my reality, this is how things are, and I'm accepting that because I'm not doing anything differently. Einstein's definition yeah. of insanity is obviously doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. And if a team is doing that, it's just madness. So, uh, yeah, big, big Definitely. believer in, in doing something different and, um, the whole, the whole meeting yeah, thing as well. One of the things I was just going to, I was going to touch upon on the meeting thing was one of the things that I've been increasingly doing to try and improve meetings, not just retrospectives is to build in feedback loops into every ceremony, every meeting. So for my retrospectives, for example, the end of the retrospective, there is a way for the team to say on a fist of five, right? Has it been, has it been valuable? Has, it, has, has everyone participated? Has everyone felt safe doing so? And that way you're building a feedback loop to say, hang on, was this session even useful and how could it be better next time? And you can do the same mm -hmm. with stand-ups and, and refinements. You can add a way of rating, has this been useful? And if it hasn't been, then what could we do differently? And I think a lot of teams can get into the habit of just doing 
well it's a ceremony we'll do the ceremony and then yeah it only comes up at a retrospective we've got too many meetings or they're not adding value but there's no there's no why they haven't discovered that why exactly. so i think more yeah. more feedback loops into the value of of meetings am i needed there was everyone participating because yeah, there's, there's a culture where people if you're invited to a meeting often people are invited for awareness particularly in the remote world for awareness yeah. because they don't yeah. want them to feel left yeah. out uh, and then there can be a, a pressure to say oh well, i've got to be there because i've been invited invited now yeah. and more people should just say well i'm not going to add anything to that meeting so i'm i'm going to decline that one yeah i think it was it was it was elon musk who was saying that just like just decline more meetings just if it's if, you, if you're not going to be part of it decline it because what often happens is people are in meetings and they're just working on other things in parallel anyway which means they're probably not really present they're not adding value definitely yeah i agree and i think that question the why question is probably being asked too little people are just accepting that this is how it is uh we, we have to go to this meeting because it's part of the ceremonies of, of this process that we have and we don't question it but i think questioning things are really important and also i think that if people choose to say not have retrospectives it's funny how sometimes people forget that not making a decision or not doing something is actually also doing a lot of things it's mm it's um if you don't make a decision that's also a decision made of just yeah. accepting the things that are mm. and so that's that's a question that should be asked again so why are you choosing not to make a decision why are you choosing not to do this and what will the consequences be i think that's important as well yeah so what what anti-patterns in retrospectives do you see chris Oh, silence. Silence is definitely one, you know, that that uh, someone, a prompt question happens and, and it just falls flat and no one responds. And this, this can be particularly true of uh, certain certain teams, certain uh, certain cultures that there can be less of a desire to rock the boat or they, they want to be overly obsequious. And that's just natural and built in. There might be a mm. huge lack of psychological safety so they don't feel like speaking out depending on who's present. Yeah. You know, if you've got a, yeah. a retrospective where you've got particularly senior members of staff to have the more junior members say something which could rock the boat and somehow suggest that things aren't okay, mm. people may may struggle with that. Um, mm. And the the, 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 the the main one for me, and this is one that I've been personally trying to address, is just stale, boring retrospectives. You know, the, 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 the constant start, stop, continue, um, sad, mad, yeah. glad, and teams just doing that over and over and over. I, I, I worked with a team in the last year and I'd not long come into the company. I said, oh, are you retrospecting? They said, yeah, sure. And then they shared this conference page showing all their retrospectives. Mm -hmm. And I kid you not, every retrospective for the past year was a sad, mad, glad one. And I was like, okay, that means great that you're doing retrospective. Congratulations, keep that yeah. up. Hopefully it's generating you some great insights. My concern is, is that by doing the same thing over and over, the, the, the prompts are stale. So probably you might be getting the same results over and over. The same things may be coming up. So yeah. what could we try differently? So my, my own personal mission has been to try and create more fun in the workplace, create more themed, engaging retrospective, which I find are particularly important in the virtual world where it's very, very yes. easy, very, very easy to just, oh, I've just got a Slack message. I'm just going to respond to that. Or, you know, something catches yeah. your eye yeah. and you, you go and look at another web page yeah. or you're, you're, you're thinking of your next task and you look at that. Whereas when everyone's face to face, you, you tend to be a bit more present. Now, also the reason for it is um, 
when you're on, on a virtual call, our, our, our attention spans, they're not, they're not designed for hour plus long meetings. We, yeah, we, I think it's 20 to 40 minutes for an adult can focus before they need a break. So um, for me, having shorter, sharper, engaging retrospectives where people are part yeah. of it and they're, they're regularly interacting, yeah. they're regularly physically doing something. Yes. That yes. to me is uh, yeah. one of the, the anti-patterns I'm personally trying to correct myself. Yes, and I'm wondering if, so I've, I've gotten these little toys prompted by my colleague Dio at the, the QCon conferences that I, I play with when I have meetings, because mm -hmm. when somebody else is talking, I, I get this, like, I get a bit fidgety. And if mm -hmm. I don't have this, I've noticed that then I, I play with my phone. But if I play with my phone, maybe something comes up. Yeah, you have I've, something as well. I've got all sorts. I've got a little Groot on my desk. He's my he's my totem oh. to remind me to be people first. You know, we are we are people first, and it's my my guardians yeah. of agility motto: people first. So I've got him on my desk that I fidget yeah. with. I showed you earlier. I've got my my tiny hands that I bought to stroke my cat. Yeah, he's my Oof. think my thinking hands, which I know you said a little bit creepy, right? But these are just fidgety things yeah, that I I, nice I have. Smile. Thank you. And the other one, and you were talking about it earlier, having your octopuses as your audience, right between yeah. my webcam, I've got two little googly eyes that I've stuck on to my mind to my screen to yeah. remind me that I'm talking to people. So I look into those yeah. googly eyes too. I don't mind talking to octopuses actually. It doesn't really have to be people for my sake, but uh, I, I wanted to congratulate you on the um, on those templates that you're sharing with the world, all those great retrospective templates you're making in Miro, Chris, I've been sending those links out to people because I think, I think it's great that you're sharing it uh, just with everybody. So uh, I think wow. everybody who's watching this should go in and check these retrospective templates and, and try them out. Because Thank it you is, for that. It is I've, important to change. Yeah. I've, I think I've shared, this week was my 51st retrospective template I'd created. So last week was was 50. Uh, I plan to release well, a new one every week. And to be honest, it's actually it's something I enjoy doing. And I've had lots of people approach me and say, hey, could we could we help you or could, could you come and join exclusively our retro service and help build templates for us? And and as soon as they, they said that, I was like, well, I'm I'm all about doing it for free. I want to help the community and I don't want to put anything I do behind a paywall. So, um, and I think as soon as it became work, I would disconnect with it. But for me, it's something that I enjoy doing, it's fun. And the stories that I get back from people saying how much they enjoy them and the, and the results they've caused, that's why I keep doing it. So yeah, no, no plans to stop in that respect. We'll continue with the retrospective charge there. And what I've, what I've loved seeing is just um, more and more people now sharing their own. I, I've, I'm connected with people in South America who are doing their own versions. I'm connected with people in the UK who are doing their own versions. There's, as I, yeah. I mentioned, Dave Westgarth earlier. He's he's regularly doing these sports themes ones. You've got uh, Steve Sampson Jones, who I regularly collaborate with. He's, he's amazing with visuals, and he's doing a lot of um, animated star ones like like Disney and and, oh. and, and all sorts. Yeah. And it's just just seeing it's it's almost like there's there's a growing demand for these themed retrospectives, and more people are creating and sharing them. So it's, I think it's growing. My my next mission is to now bring fun to the the remaining agile ceremonies. So post this, I'm going to look into how how I can bring these sorts of fun into other ones. I think my next uh, my next plan is to do a number of themed team charters you know, it all, all for me begins with starting with a good team charter get that psychological safety built in get everyone on aligned and on board with how we're working and if i could make a nice themed charter that wasn't just a 
here's a blank mm. square boxed template yeah. canvas. That's my next mission. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So coming back was, to your book. I then, was thinking about the thing you said. Okay, yeah, go sorry. <laughs> no, it was just when you said this thing that you sometimes uh, went into a company and you saw they had these um, just the same retrospective every time. And I, I think of it like this, that brains are very lazy. Brains um, consume a lot of energy. So we've sort of been, we are optimizing our brains to, to be lazy because mm. I mean, that saves a lot of energy. And, and if, if you're doing the retrospectives in the same way every time, I tend to see also that people are coming up with exactly the same issues every time. So sometimes people are saying, why, why are all our retrospectives the same? We're always just talking about the coffee or something like that. And, and one, one reason for that is that they, they have sometimes maybe they're discussing things that they can't really change. So they're just mm. nagging about it instead of discussing something they can change. But another part is definitely that if they're asking the same questions, they'll get the same answers. So I think that what you're doing uh, and what other people are doing with, with making different templates means that you'll sort of kickstart your brain. You'll, you'll make your, you'll tease your brain into, into thinking about new things. Completely. And, and that's one of the, 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 the main reasons that I do this. Yeah, if you're asked, uh, what are you sad about? And you hear the same question all the time, you probably will mention the same things. If the, the mm -hmm. alternative is um, uh, agile, so th think, of, think of Looney Tunes, right? You've got Pepe Le Pew, you know, the, the skunk character and, and things smell. And, and yeah. the, the prompt we did for Looney Tunes there was Agile Le Pew. Is there anything that stinks about our ways of working? Is there anything we can freshen up a bit? So you've, you've, all you've done yeah. is you've taken the same crux of it, what's, what's not quite working well, and you've put it into yeah. a bit of a fun theme and you've pr provoked different, hopefully a different uh, response as a consequence. Yeah. Yeah. We've got questions in there like you've got Speedy Gonzalez and he always says, Arriba, Arriba, Ondele, you know, speed, speed, speed. The prompt in that one is, you know, are we working at a sustainable pace? You know, have we, have we got scope to increase our speed or should we hit the brakes a little bit? You know, you've got um, Wiley Coyote, he's constantly trying to conquer the Roadrunner and he's constantly experimenting with different explosives and weapons and things to try and catch his Roadrunner. And he always says, try this on for size. So try this on for size. What did we learn via experimentation? What can we try next? There's just lots of little different things or different prompts you can ask as part of retrospectives that just engage the brain very, very differently. Yeah. And I think you can apply the same to other ceremonies. So the very, the very typical stand-up questions that a teams will ask or, or ask. I know it's it's been altered slightly in the recent Scrum Guide, but the the, the age-old ones that everyone's familiar with is: What did I do yesterday? What am I going to do today? What blockers do I have? Now, I've I've delivered this talk to I've delivered talks about this to hundreds and hundreds of people, and I asked this question. How many people have been in a stand-up and asked the question, what blockers they have, and it's just met with silence? No blockers or just, you know, nothing. And so many people are like, yep, done that, experienced that. So I say to them, okay, if you, if you alter that question ever so slightly and you ask that person or you ask the team to answer the question, what help could you up IP provided today? Or what would help me move mm. forwards on something? Mm. It, it's a slightly different question, achieving the same outcome, but there is a resistance to I am blocked because I am blocked suggests I'm 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 not good enough or I can't pro progress on my own. Whereas just saying what could I be helped with or what would support me moving forwards, there's a little bit less dissonance to it. There's a little bit less resistance to it, and it's being asked very slightly differently, and it can result in very different answers. People say, oh yeah, well actually, if um you know if Steph helped me with this, I might be able to move forwards. Or 
if someone could help me pair on this a little bit, I might be able to fix this a bit quicker. So rephrasing, yeah. rephrasing things, freshening things up, definitely one of my yeah. actionable takeaways I would re recommend to everyone. So coming back to your book then, um, if you could distill one, one single piece of advice to anyone looking to improve their retrospectives, I know, what would it be? Just one is very difficult, but I'll see what I can do. I have faith in you. Okay. So I think, I think this one is most important. Okay. Try to make everyone equal because there'll be some people who don't want to say very much. It could be cultural. It could be lack of trust. It could be lack of psychological safety. It could be shyness. Try to, if you have people like that on a team, try, try to, prepare your retrospective so that it's not just a lot of plenum discussions try to make something so that it's written anonymously if you need to or try to make people split up in smaller groups like you can have breakout rooms with with pairs or something mm -hmm. like that i think that's one of the most important things try to make everybody equal and when we start coming back to work some of us try to avoid having retrospectives where half the people are in the same room and the other half are sitting as satellites in their own rooms because then the people in the same room will will be talking to each other and will be sharing more. It could be not just the things that they say. And then when people on, online are asking what they say, oh, nothing. But it could also be just the, the body language or even the mm -hmm. smells that they let out. But there is some communication be between the people in the same room. And the people who are satellites will, will lose that communication. So try to make everybody equal. And then I think another thing is that that prime directive that we talked about in the beginning. Remember that it holds for you as well. You as a facilitator, you did the best you could. Mm -hmm. Sometimes retrospectives suck. Sometimes they're a waste of time. Sometimes they burn and crash, but you did the best you could and mm. just try to learn from it and then move on. Completely. I've, I, I've, I've facilitated so many retrospectives now, but I would, I would love to say every one of them was perfect very not very much not the case sometimes they just they just you know it, it feels like i'm um trying to get blood out of a stone to get people to to speak yeah. no matter what no matter what techniques i'm using yes. no matter how much how engaging yeah. i'm being no matter how yeah. um psychological safe i'm trying to enable people to be no matter how many yeah. methods i use to try and enable people to speak in the way they prefer to do because my my, my stance tends to be uh, i will introduce a prompt question i will invite silent reflection where everyone interacts um, individually without speaking and then it then it goes on to discussion and then I get them to dot vote and choose so everyone's got a collective voice it's the most important thing and then I'll try and pull an action out of things but sometimes even even just getting the people talking is so difficult so not every one of my retrospectives lands perfectly well uh, and there's always room for improvement and that's why I'm, I'm always building in those feedback loops into into the ceremonies so how, how could I be better yeah it's a great Definitely. great great points there thank you now, I'm, I'm keen to talk to you. You, you. you did actually touch on upon it very, very um, slightly there. We were talking about how um, as we move towards this, this hybrid situation, um, what, have, what are the or how, how have you personally found the transition between retrospectives or, or, or meetings that were primarily held in person, co-located versus now where they are primarily remote versus where they are likely to be soon, which is we've kind of got a mixture or a hybrid. How have you found that experience? And are there any 
key takeaways or things you'd share with people as to try and make those successful? I, I think that one of the things that I learned from having these online meetings is that you should always have the meetings be 55 meeting minutes instead of an hour or 25 minutes instead of 30 minutes. That's something that I wasn't that aware of before, but I think it's something that I've become more aware of because we, we have these back-to-back -back meetings, especially now when it's online, because people are expecting, oh, they're sitting, they're sitting in front of their computer. We can just, we can just, um, invite them for a meeting so having those five minutes not just for a bio break or getting coffee but just sort of to clear your mind or to write down the notes from the last meeting to stretch really to important. stand up to yeah to yeah stretch to stand up yeah um so that's one thing that's important and then i think that when we start to come back to to real life meetings or hybrid meetings i think it's more and more important that we think about our meeting culture that we only invite the people that really needs to be there and the rest can just be, as you said, for awareness, they, they can get a resume of the action points afterwards. Just, just thinking about, is this meeting actually important? Is it critical? The big why, why do we have this meeting? What do we want to get out of it? And then afterwards, as you also said, make some sort of um, evaluation. Did we get out of this meeting? What we expected to get out of this meeting? And if not, then why not? Did we, were some people missing? Were some data missing? Was it the wrong time of the day for this kind of meetings? Because there's some meetings that are good in the morning and some meetings are good in the afternoon. And don't even get me started on time zones here. Hmm. But I think we need to be a lot more critical about meetings. Completely agree. A lot of companies have this, this meeting heavy culture. And coming back to your point about uh, reducing the, the default time of meetings, there's a very easy hack you can do in, in Microsoft Outlook to change your default settings so that rather than a meeting going in as an hour and a half hour, it can go in as 25 minutes or 50 minutes. That change, I did I did that months and months ago and I encouraged everyone to do the same. Like, Please do this, do, do, it, do, it, do it for your own benefit, do it for everyone else's benefit, because it means that next time you put a meeting in, it's not gonna start as an hour by default. And as you say, that gives that decompression time. It gives time people to have a bio break or stretch or just not look at a screen for five minutes. Um, before they yeah. go into their next meeting because the consequence think about what actually happens if you don't have that meetings are back to back yeah which means everyone arrives about five you know anything between two and five minutes past the actual time slot and if, yes. you, if you depending yes. on the number of people in that meeting that's five minutes times 10 or 20 so that's a lot of hour or you know that that will add up to a lot of wasted time yeah. whereas if and, and often sometimes people are just sat on the, the last 10 minutes of a call just not not adding much anyway perhaps or, or, or already mm. already disengaged because they've been on a long meeting and they're not producing quite the as a team they're, they're they're switching off a bit and probably not producing the the right level of quality that you'd be looking for so yeah completely yeah. completely on board with that reducing a meeting heavy culture i know a lot of companies are doing these kind of no meeting days or they're doing they're doing half days yeah. where they just say right there's no meetings during this time yeah. frame to allow deep focus and that works for some so there's, there's lots of techniques out there, I think, that could definitely help. Yeah. And I think that we should take those meetings back into the real life meetings as well. We shouldn't forget those things that we learned. Mm. Well, again, coming back to the, the way I used to work, you'd have a meeting that ran from 1 till 2 p.m. And then your next meeting could be 2 p.m., but it'd be a building across the other side of the campus, for example, if you're on a, on a and you've got to then maybe finish the meeting early and then rush across or arrive late carrying all your stuff. So yeah, <laughs> we definitely need to carry some of these 
these new learnings to the to the to the physical world yeah. again yeah right definitely. i i am conscious of time i know um you know i'm a huge fan of retrospective we, we we've talked about all these themed ones i do what is what is your favorite retrospective theme or template i'm keen to hear what's the what's the what's your what's your go-to what have you what have you enjoyed most doing well actually i really like the um the ship or the pirate ship or the sail ship it's got many names it's it's relatively simple to draw on a whiteboard even i can draw something that looks like a, a ship and looks like rocks underneath the water and look and i've learned to draw an anchor as well so that's really good I like the simplicity of it, and I like that there are some there are so many different parts in the ship retrospective that you can choose to focus on, or mm. you can choose to prepare beforehand. You can prepare the the bounty island, so the aim or the goal or the mission. That's something that can be done at the retrospective. What can be prepared, or it could be the mission statement from the team. Making the the name of the ship could be like the the team name or the project name, and that's something that could have been done beforehand, but it's also mm -hmm. something that you could do actually at the retrospective, and then. You can spend time on having the wind blowing in the sails, that's a good thing, the anchor holding you back and the rocks um, that are unforeseen, things that you're afraid of, uh, things that you are scared of. I really like that. Um, so, but I remember that you once asked me, so what What would be, what should be my next theme retrospective if, if I should put my um, my idea into the next Chris Stone retrospective template? Yes, that was going to be my next and, question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would be, so I I've thought about it. So I was cleaning out my kitchen the other day, and I thought we could definitely have a kitchen uh, themed retrospective because there'll be food that smells, and there'll be. I mean, I didn't have maggots, but you could have maggots. You could have like, oh, a little nugget of chocolate that I forgot that I had, uh, which I'm very happy about finding or anything like that. But then I thought it might be too gross. So I also thought about an aquarium retrospective. I don't know if you have okay. an aquarium retrospective. I don't, I don't have an aquarium retrospective. I don't, I don't have a, so um, Ari Van Benneken, uh, one of the co-authors of the Agile Manifesto, he he challenged me to do a cooking theme retrospective. Ah. So I've I've already got like a, a cooking kitcheny yeah. theme retro on the back, yeah. but an aquarium one I do not. Yeah, and um, my mind my mind immediately goes to yeah octopuses. It goes to sharks. It go it go it goes to Finding Nemo, and I'm thinking of the tank and their little false volcano and them going um, shark bait, ooh ah, and things like that. And I'm just yeah, I'll I'll, I'll have a think. Sorry. Finding a, tre a treasure box on the bottom. Yeah, of the, the treasure. You've got the little scuba diver looking for treasure at the bottom of the the aquarium. You've got there's something about the the filter, you know, keeping things fresh and ways of working. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. There's and there's definitely something I could do aquarium wise. Yeah. Sounds good. I will do an aquarium theme retrospective. Okay. Uh, any any final thoughts you'd like to share with any of the listeners I know? Yes, this is completely unrelated to retrospectives, but I just uh, heard a review of um, the, the new book by Oliver Berkman that comes out called uh, 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. And it's about that in, a, in an average life, you have 4,000 weeks available. And I think that's a daunting thought because it's about 77 years, which is the average length of a life. And I, I know that since I'm 50 now, I've spent 2,600 of my weeks, which is a bit worrying. I never thought about it like that. 
But I, I think that listening to that resume or summary of that book makes me really think about, am I spending my weeks in the right way? Because when you put it like that, 4,000 weeks, it becomes much more manageable and much more finite. And then you can think about, did I spend this week out of the 4,000 I have in my whole life? Did I spend that well or not? Mm. So that's a, you can, it could be a depressing thought, but it could also be a thought that might make you reflect, reflect a little bit about your life, like a retrospective over each week, perhaps. I mean, I, I personally do what I call solo spective, so weekly retrospective with myself. And I, I do daily journaling and that's my, my own stand up with myself. And that's all in the interest of self-awareness and yeah. helping me understand, am I moving closer to my goals or further away? What could I try next that might help me? Um, I haven't ever thought about it in the, in the context of I have this amount of time remaining. Um, and as you say, it could it could be argued, depending on your lens of perspective, that that, that sobering thought of you have 4,000 weeks, that could be a threat. That could be, oh, my God, that's that's worrying. Yeah. <clears throat> Where it could be an opportunity. I've got this amount of time remaining. Mm -hmm. How can I best use that in a way that I'm yeah. bringing value or enjoying life? Yeah. So interesting final thought. Thank you very much for being involved in the show. I know it's been a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for sharing and talking with me about retrospectives. I feel like I'm losing my voice all of a sudden. Um, it's good. We're almost over then. <laughs> uh, future episodes of, of this season, we still have a, a couple of episodes. So you are episode seven of season two. And we're also going to be hearing from, uh, we've got future guests as, as Ravi J. We've got uh, Richard Kasparowski and, and Jeff Watts. Uh, a number of a number of great people to to hear from so do look out for the new episodes and as always don't stop believing folks bye now thank you for inviting me chris it's been a pleasure you've just listened to another episode of the virtually agile podcast don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things agile if this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.